How y'all doing? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, the takes are hot. Episode 50 today. A uh, pretty big milestone in our uh, in this podcast. And we've, we haven't recorded in a little bit. Um, been a little busy. Um, you know, getting around here to this podcast episode, I think, was big because we got a ton of stuff to cover. Uh, we should be recording more regularly here this summer, uh, fairly soon. Just these first few weeks got some stuff going on, uh, but we are back for episode 50 on this June 8th. Turn up the heat as we normally do to kick off the episode. I'll kick it off. Um, so we probably won't touch on it much because we don't really cover soccer, but Lionel Messi, um, you know, one of the goats in the soccer world, will be a part of the MLS now. The MLS Major League Soccer is the American Soccer League. Has been over in Europe, if you didn't know, playing there his whole career with Ronaldo and all those guys. Um, but he is now going to be on Inner Miami, the Miami MLS squad. Uh, so that should be big time. My hot take is that I will attend an MLS game. Um, probably with him on the field. I don't know if I'd go to a game other than that. I think it's kind of like must-see in person. I don't know if, how, how expensive tickets are going to be and stuff. but Very. Yeah. Very. I mean, yeah. I'll try to get to one, but we'll see how it all shakes out. But that's my hot take. So, yeah, um, I've been wanting to get to a game here in Austin for a while. Um, I, it just didn't happen while we were home. Uh, I'll take I will take full responsibility for the fact that we have been super irregular with posting. Um, you know, I was on vacation for a week, and just like I mentioned before, it's just a bunch of personal life stuff going on with uh, with family that uh, you know family comes first, and got to take care of some stuff and take care of some people. Um, but once I'm once I'm out of town for my internship uh, in a couple of weeks, we will be much much more regular in posting. I'll we'll have a I'll have a more set schedule, um, so I'll be able to kind of um, you know make carve out that time. Like I said, it's on me, but at the same time, I just you know family comes first. I got to take care of that stuff. Um, that is on me. I'll I'll, I'll take uh, full responsibility. But back to the, the soccer thing, I I have wanted to get to a game here in Austin at, uh, at Q2. It's an awesome environment. It looks great. I've seen plenty of Snapchat stories, Instagram stories of people going to games. And um, I'm not a huge soccer fan. I, I think it's um, it's one of those things that um, you have to experience it in person. I think I, I've got a couple of friends who've gone over to Europe and seen some Premier League games, and it's just a, a whole nother level of of sports um, over there. And uh, I definitely want to go see a game in Austin. For tickets are pretty expensive to go see Messi play, which understandably, I mean. Um, He's probably the greatest player that will ever set foot on an MLS field, uh, like suiting up for an MLS team. Obviously, that you know, uh, I believe you know, a long time ago, I remember um, there was a big deal when a couple of ML- MLS team actually played Messi's team in like a like a preseason game, basically um, type of deal where they came over and played in the states. So definitely a big deal. Um, but he'll he's probably the greatest to ever lace him up. He turned down a billion dollars from uh, a team out in Saudi Arabia. I forget the name of their team now, but he turned on a, like a billion dollars. He's sometimes he's getting Nike shares, like part of ownership. He's gonna be able to own a club. Like it's he's getting some never before seen deal, which is well you know well deserved for um, one of the greatest of all time in that sport, um, with you know easily the richest history of any sport in the world, right? So um, pretty unique. Definitely gonna try to see a game of him myself. It's just one of the things you have to do when you get the opportunity. Um, my turn up the heat today. It's definitely a hot take. It's I said this before. It's probably a little early for this. Um, but full transparency, I had a great one I thought of today, and I just didn't write it down. And um, power was out at the house, and so I just needed to put get the chance to put on the dock. So I was like, ah, I'll go, go with one I thought of earlier today. Um, kind of off the dome, but I don't think Georgia's winning the SEC this year. I think 
They lose a lot of talent. I think losing Todd Munkin is going to be something that people don't really take into account for them as much. I think that's going to be a huge loss for them. Um, new quarterback, but new offense is the big one. It's a brand new offense, brand new quarterback. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what they look like. But, um, you know, I really think it's primed for like Tennessee and LSU to kind of make a run this year. Both those teams bringing back a lot of talent, obviously. Tennessee lost a, a, a decent amount, but they bring back Joe Milton. From back that system, um, I think that I, I I don't know if I mean it could be Bama. I have no idea, but I think there's a lot more question marks around Georgia than we normally see in the last few years. And I think that again, it's early, but I don't think they're gonna make a playoff. I don't think they're gonna win the SEC this year. Um, I'd be curious just to kind of see who the team that kind of comes out comes out on top is, but I don't know if it's gonna be Georgia this year. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I probably wouldn't pick Georgia. I was thinking about like just college football in general past like about a week ago or so. And I honestly don't know. I mean, I think it's probably Bama or LSU if I had to guess, but I guess we'll see. Um, but should be a little more competitive this year and probably not a favorite, like you were saying. Um, that pretty much it for the hot takes. Um, I'll get in the NBA if you want. Um, I can cover the conference finals and we can get into the, the NBA finals after that, as we head into uh, game four is tomorrow night. So for the conference finals recap, we have the East um, covering the East. It was the Miami heat and the Boston Celtics and the Miami heat went up three Oh, they won the first three games and they eliminated the Boston Celtics in seven. So they won the first three. The Celtics came back and won the next three. And they went to Boston. I think everyone thought the Celtics would win. And the Heat ended up winning it, which was huge. Uh, big surprise to most people in the basketball world. So that was a fun series. And in the West, we had the Denver Nuggets. They swept the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, you know, The Nuggets, obviously, in the finals now. Nikola Jokic is playing just incredible. Um He's no a one can guard right him. Yeah, and it's just crazy what he's doing every night. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll start with the Nuggets first. I mean, first I mean, the first player to have a, a 20, 30, or 30, 20, and 10 game in finals history last night. Um, obviously, like back in like the Celtics and um, like when they're you know when Bill Russell won like eight or whatever, they didn't count blocks back then. He probably would have had you know 30, 20, and 10 with blocks. But in modern era scoring um, and stat keeping, he's the first. 20 or 30 20 and 10 player ever in the finals which is crazy um i'll also say uh, jamal murray i obviously didn't have a great game in the end that they lost uh close game in game two but i mean dude he's he had 34 last night 34 or something like that in game one I and mean, he's going great too um and that 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 miami boston series was was something I mean, the last time that we recorded this podcast uh i had basically said that was the most pitiful game three i've ever seen from a team it looked like boston just kind of gave up and it looked like they were a team that was playing down 3-0, kind of gave up. And I, all the credit to them, and they stepped up games, you know, four through six. Um, it really locked down defensively, and they really were able to kind of neutralize what Miami was doing. And and just not only the Miami's offense, but Miami's defense as well, kind of poked their holes there. And then, man, game seven, I mean, just a just a head scratcher, right? Like. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have just have both have stinkers. Like, is it's 
unexpected from last. I mean, last year in Game Seven, when Tatum and and Brown kind of carry him to the Game Seven win against Miami in Miami, it's it's funny these two teams have have swapped road Game Seven wins in Conference Finals the last two years. Um, so it's just you know a strange game. Uh, I'm I'm shocked that that my you know Miami allowed it to get to a Game Seven. Um, but Miami's no joke. I mean, it, clearly in Game Two they, they had it close and. Um, and they won the game in game two and then, you know, game games one and three, um, Denver kind of controlled most of the way, but, uh, some runs from, you know, Miami in both those games. So definitely no joke, but I'm, I'm still taking the nuggets in five, I think. Um, yeah, so we got game game four. They played game three last night. Game four is Friday tomorrow night at seven thirty central. Um, game one, Denver won by, uh, by 11, 104 to 93, Game two, Miami won, like I said, a tight one, a 111 to 108 three-point margin. And then uh, Denver won last night's game, game three in Miami, uh, 109 to 94. Uh, biggest point spread of the victory so far in the series. Um, it's no answer for Jokic, man. They have no answer. They haven't had an answer all series. He scored uh, 41 in, the, in game two in the loss. He was unstoppable in the fourth quarter. Um, and then he scored 30. I think he scored I think he scored 30 and over, over 30 in every single game so far. So just, it, dude is unreal. Yeah, I know. Um, the Nuggets will be up 3-0 right now if their defense didn't collapse in the fourth quarter of Game 2. Um, disappointing Game 2 from them. I think what Miami needs to do is just assign, like, defensive assignments need to improve. I think what you're seeing a lot is they're just ha- trying to have Bam cover Jokic, which obviously doesn't work. And then you're leaving Aaron Gordon open and Jokic can still, you know, pass the ball. And then Jamal Murray and Miami just doesn't have the defense to match up. Whereas Denver is just like the complete team that has guys that play defense and has the scores and obviously all the tools you need. They still have guys like Christian Brown, Bruce Brown, uh, Aaron Gordon that can still fill all those different roles in between Jamal and Nicola. And Miami just doesn't have that. I mean, Vincent and all those guys that they have there is great, but like they just don't have as good of a roster, and that's just what it what it is. Um, you know, they made it to the finals, probably shouldn't have, um, and now we're seeing kind of the reason why and how they, you know, it was in part lucky that they got to the finals, but they're a good team, obviously led by Jimmy Butler, who's a superstar, and it's tough to see him kind of go out like this. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it seems like whoever was going to match up against the Nuggets was going to have a tough time defending and scoring uh, one through five. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and I'll say this before we get to the NHL, but it's just – and you saw with the Lakers, you've seen it, frankly, with every team that, that Denver has seen in this, play, this playoff run. It's the lack of a second big or a competent second big, if that makes sense. It's, it's just a lack of having another guy on the floor that can defend the post um at a high level and the and the problem is that you, you see with these guys is it's great that bam's a great defender it's great that anthony davis is a great defender but Jokic isn't just a post scorer he's he's a point guard who's also backing you down on the post as, as a prime a prime post scorer right i mean he's a three-level scorer and a three-level passer um in a way that we really haven't seen in a long time if not ever from a big man uh a center who's over seven feet tall. It's just, it's rare. Um, and it's, it's, it's really hard to defend and you've got to have, I, I think the only way to beat this Denver team as constructed the way that these role players are playing, Jamal Murray's healthy, Aaron Gordon's playing really well, MPJ, all these guys, the only way that they're, someone's going to be able to beat this team is with two 
highly competent bigs on the defensive end. Like guys you can play nearly every minute that, you, that Jokic is on. Like the minute Jokic subs out, one of those guys or both of them is getting a break, right? Like the Lakers and, and, and the Heat, just, they don't have that. Like the, the Lakers didn't have another, they didn't have another big the entire year. And Miami really didn't have another big either. So it's just, it's tough. Uh, that, that's really the the big part of it. Um, you know, Miami's shot the ball really well in game two and it, it is a really complete team win um, from them. But yeah, uh, game four tomorrow, um, pivotal. I mean, Miami cannot go down 3-1 going back to Denver. If they do, it's wraps. Denver hasn't lost a home game. Actually, their first home game loss in this playoffs was game two. Um, one, like you said, it should be up 3-0 that their defense didn't collapse in the fourth quarter. So, um, yeah, it's a muscle win for Miami. Um, and I, I probably think their season's over if they don't win. Uh, I just think that going back to Denver up 3-1, that's an almost an impossible thing to do to go in there and win in game five. So probably a must win for Miami. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like that's just kind of what, like if they don't win, I, I don't know how they go back to Denver down 3-1 and get a win in game five. Oh yeah. It seemed like the heat, it needed to keep it 2-2. Um, which, I mean, they still can, but they need to. They have to win Game Four. It's going to be over. Yeah. So I mean, at the end of the day, I didn't think anyone was really going to beat Denver, regardless. But yeah, I still want a you know a lengthy competitive series. Um, you're not really wanting four or five game series in the finals. Um, that's pretty much it for NBA. Moving on to NHL, who's pretty much in the same spot right now, about you know a couple of days behind. Um. But recapping the conference finals, the in the East, we had the Florida Panthers, um, kind of the underdog team that's made it this far, similar to the Heat, going to uh, play at the home ice team, the Carolina Hurricanes, and Florida swept them. Uh, Florida had won, I th- believe, 10 of 11 before losing uh, the first two in the Stanley Cup finals. And then in the West, we had the Dallas Stars, the Vegas Golden Knights, um, I believe the Knights were up 3-0, and then Dallas won a couple, and the Knights won game six uh, to win the series four games to two. Stanley Cup Finals, um, game three is currently going on right now. It is one-to-one in the second period. But game one uh, between the eight-seeded Florida Panthers and the one-seeded Golden Knights, game one was on Saturday, and Vegas won at 5-2. Uh, you know, game one and two didn't look too Difficult for them in Vegas. Game two was on Monday, um, June 5th, and the Knights won it 7-2. to two. So uh, thoroughly outplaying the Panthers right now. I think coincidentally two eight seeds from Miami in both sports and then one seeds from the West in both sports playing in their respective uh, final series. But, yeah, I mean, I just think the Panthers, as great as and, and as hot of they ha- as they have been, uh, kind of run to the Golden Knights that have been battle-tested and have played pretty consistent these whole playoffs. Great on home ice, too. I'll say that. Um, like I've always said, home ice is big in hockey. It's the biggest home home, home field or home court advantage you can have in any pro sport is home ice. Um, and, and game one was, I mean, it was, was it 2-2 going into the third period, I believe, um, or 2-2 at one point in the game. And Vegas opened it up. And then obviously in game two, a 72 is a dominant win. So, um, listen, nothing's ever over in hockey. Um, there's been plenty of times where teams have been down 2-0 and won the, won the Stanley Cup, you know, in six or seven. So, um, you know, especially with 
here's the thing: you even it, it, home ice, you you keep, you win your two games at home in game three and four, you're back to square one, and it's a three game series. So it's it kind of anyone's series at that point. Um, and that's the mindset: is you got to take it one game at a time, and and you get the next two, and and get it to a three game series, or it's anybody's anybody's series really. So, um, you know, one game at a time mindset. I think you saw the Celtics do it. Um. So Florida can kind of get the win tonight. I think that's big for momentum. Going to game four, get a win for them, and go back to Vegas, uh, you know, back at square one, and um, really put some pressure on the Golden Knights to kind of come out at home in game five and win. But they got to take care of the business tonight. And um, look, game game three, game four is probably on, probably going to be on Saturday, the tenth. I believe so, Saturday. Yeah, they got the extra day of rest for travel, but it should be every other day. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, we'll just kind of see how that goes. Like I said, um, one-to-one right now, second period. Kind of see how that finishes up. But um, that kind of wraps it up for for the Stanley Cup. I, I guess if I had to make a prediction on this before we get out of here with this, probably taking Vegas in six. Um, I could very well see Florida winning two here um, at home. But I think if Vegas goes back, they go back to Vegas in game five and win, be tough. Uh, a lot of pressure on the Panthers to go back home and um, kind of get it done. So, considering it's a one-to-one game right now, it's tight. I don't know how phased the Golden Knights have been with this this road advantage. They've been great all postseason. So, I mean, shoot, they close out the Stars in Dallas. So, um, they're they're no you know no stranger to doing that. So, I'll, I'll get so go uh, I'll go Knights in six. Yeah, I agree. I think Knights in five or six is probably the pick. Um, like I said, they've just been playing a little better quality of opponents i think the panthers similar to the heat just got hot at the right time and have just been kind of cruising along and haven't really faced much adversity outside of the first few games they lost to the bruins early in the playoffs um that'll wrap up the nhl there heading on to golf here Uh, we got three tournaments to talk about and one to look up to um so a couple weeks ago we had the charles schwab challenge at the colonial country club in fort worth texas Last year, Sam Burns won the event. This year, the event carries a purse of 8.7 mil. The low rounds on the par 70 course each day were 62, 65, 66, and 67. So the course played progressively harder as the week went on. Emiliano Grillo, the 30-year-old from Argentina, won at 8-under in a two-hole playoff. Pretty exciting event. Um, You know, obviously a guy that I think he has one other career win, not in, like, five years or something six years has he won um but you know a lot of guys don't play in this event a lot of the big name guys i don't know why but um, a lot of them choose to opt out and then last weekend we had the memorial tournament at Mirfield village golf club in dublin ohio last year billy horschel won the event and this year victor hovland the 25 year old norwegian oklahoma state graduate he won the event this time at seven under edged out Denny McCarthy in a one-hole playoff. Uh, so back-to-back weeks, we had a playoff. And the low rounds of this tournament were 67 on Thursday and Sunday and 65 on Friday and Saturday. So um, about your standard course, a little tough, but not too bad. Uh, seven under, eight under finish is about where these harder, like a little above average in difficulty courses where you're going to see guys finishing. Um you know, some easier courses you're going to see 18, 20 under. Um, but recently, the courses have played tough for the past month or so. And so we're not seeing many guys uh, finish more than, you know, 10 under or so. Um, but then this weekend, currently going on, we have the RBC Canadian Open at Oak Deal Golf and Country Club in Toronto, Ontario. 
through day one, we have four guys tied for the lead after shooting a five under 67. So another day where the low score is a 67. Um, seems like it's going to be another tough tourney, in which initially they didn't think he'd play that tough, but played tougher as the day went on. Uh, the winner will probably be 12 under. I know initially they thought it could be 18, 20, but probably 12 is what we're going to see, you know, come the final round on Sunday. Um, so another good tourney going on right now. I know some guys opt out of this to prepare for the U.S. Open, which is at Los Angeles Country Club next weekend. Um, you know, Matt Fitzpatrick won the U.S. Open last year, and a lot of guys take the week off to kind of get their game and bodies right um, for the big-time event. So should be fun to see how that goes. Obviously, everyone playing together in that tournament, um, you know, live PGA. Since it's not a PGA Tour event, the four majors aren't, so – should be fun, but starting next season, I assume everyone will be playing back together. As earlier, I think about three days ago, the Live and PGA agreed on a deal uh, to basically merge the two tours. Um, obviously, tons of money involved. A lot of the PGA Tour guys were rightfully upset, and the Live guys were rightfully excited um, as they capitalized on their money while ultimately still getting back to play the best competition. Uh, there's about six guys on the PGA Tour. I believe it's Rory, Tiger, um, Spieth, Justin Thomas, Wills Alatoris, and Hideki Matsuyama. All guys that were offered over nine figures to join the Live Tour and ultimately turned it down to stay on the tour, protect the tour, build the tour back up after it lost so many valuable players, including you know Bryson, Brooks, Phil, guys like that. Um, so it should be interesting to see how this progresses into next season how they're going to go about it, you know, how the events are going to be, how the events are going to take place, how often, how long they are, what are the payouts, and then how are the Saudis going to compensate the PGA guys? Everything, there's a ton of questions to be answered. I don't think they will be answered till probably the season's conclusion in October or around then. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, a big storyline in the golf world. Um, should be fun to see how that goes because honestly, it could go a lot of different ways. I could see some PGA guys stepping away. Um, I could see some live guys stepping away. I mean, some guys went to the live because not only the money, but they also wanted to play on a separate tour that works differently. I don't know whether the PGA or live is going to give up more. But yeah, big time news and uh, should be fun to see how it plays out. Yeah. Um, first, I'll start off. Unfortunate that the block party did not continue uh, at the Schwab Challenge, I uh, was hoping it would. Unfortunately, uh, Michael Block fell back down to earth, as most everyone does after a an out of body experience like that. Um, still a really cool story. Um, and kind of following that, glad to see Victor get one in. Um, obviously, uh, looking for the big one next weekend for him, but glad to see him get 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 a win um, after a couple weeks. You know, felt like a month straight where he was finishing top seven, top six, top eight, top five. And, you know, um, good to see him get one looking for a big weekend from him next weekend. Um, should be great. U S open is always a really, really good time. Um, always a high quality event. Looking forward to watching that. Um, you know, looking forward to watching, uh, uh, you know, I'll let you get to that later. I know that's your shout out later. So I'll, I'll, I'll save it for, uh, for the ice bath. Um, but yeah, the, the live in the PGA thing. Um, you know, the way my brain kind of works, I immediately went to like, what's the financial aspect of this going to look like? Like, obviously, that's what motivates a lot of, you know, business decisions. And clearly, this is what that was. Um, 
you know, my mind kind of went to it felt like Liv was probably bleeding cash. We're not profitable. Um, and it begs the question, like they weren't like, I don't think the folks funding them, um, you know, again, largely uh, Saudi, Saudi Arabian backed. They're not they're not short on cash. But it's the it begs the question of like, were they just going to keep pumping cash in this thing when all they're doing is losing money? To me, this seems like the live really wasn't viable financially. Um, and they, you know, this was going to happen. Like it, everyone who says like people who think this was never going to happen in the next five to 10 years, it's just it's that's naive. This was this was on the horizon a year is much quicker than we all thought. But this, I think, pulls back the curtain to the financial viability or lack thereof that the live was kind of, uh, you know, what was taking shape there. And I think that the PGA jumped on the first opportunity to get their monopoly back, um, which I don't know if I entirely blame them for the thought process and the business decision. Um, but this isn't just business. This isn't just a firm buying out a competitor. This is much more nuanced. There's much more going on here than just you know, Target buying out or Walmart or whatever, buying a mom and pop store. It's, this is more than that's more nuanced, right? Like there's more than that involved with his fans and players and, and nine figures worth of money is crazy. Um, you know, in Tiger's case, 800 million, almost a billion dollars. I mean, that's, you know, Tiger didn't need the money, but it's at the same time, it's like, man, I could have made not obviously not all of it, but man, I could have gotten a serious bag in one just for one year miss on the tour. Um, not to mention the hard, you know, not just business commitments made to these guys, but the moral and ethical, I won't call them a tax, but borderline attacks made by PGA execs at the live tour and what they're funded by. And, um, yeah, I'm not going to pick a side because I don't, you know, it's, it gets into a lot of political BS and that's just not what I want to do. It's not what I'm interested in, but there's a lot of there are some questionable, you know, you can question the ethics and the morality behind a lot of the dollars that are funding the live. I'm sure you could about the PGA in, in some extent, but I think it's would be fair to say that there's likely more questionable stuff going on with the money funding the live. So it, just the, the shots taken by the PGA last year, a year, really like a year ago from when this happened, um, kind of adds to the turmoil. Um, but I think ultimately, I, and this is kind of what I where I left my. Kind of had my knee-jerk reaction, took the whole day to kind of take it in, and kind of I, I, t- I texted you. I said word vomit inbound, and then I just I just dropped like this this novel on Brett their night, <laughs> like just like dumping my thoughts on into this text and like kind of what I thought. And my en- my end result was basically like in short, I think this is really bad short term. I think this is going to be really tough on golf for the next year to eighteen months. Um, but I think this is a net positive for golf long-term. This is probably going to grow the game, the long-term scope of it. Um, but I think in the short term, the next six to 18 months is going to be a little murky. It's going to be interesting. Like there's been some statements made about how the lives not changing. Like, I don't know what you want to call it. I don't want, I don't know what it's going to look like. Um, I'm confident that the PGA is going to keep their name. Uh, I think the live will, the live will be attached to certain things. Not all of it. The PGA will be attached to everything. Um, call it a merger. Call it a strategic acquisition, strategic partnership. PGA bought live or basically saved them financially. That That's what happened. So um, 
you know, I'll kind of leave it at that. I think this is a net positive long term for golf. I just don't know how long it takes us to reap the, those benefits. It's going we're good. The PGA is going to is going to take the brunt of it right now. And we'll see the net benefits. I don't know when that's going to happen when we start seeing the positive return on this. Could be in a year. It could be in two years, three years. I don't know. But it's going to happen. It's just not going to happen right now, I don't think. Obviously, this season's going to finish up. And we'll get into it next season. That's why I think it's going to be six to 18 months. Because the next season going to start for about six-ish months. Yeah, I don't another year after that. So, you know, the financial side of it, what these players are going to be netting. Um, you know, how much their pocketbooks see probably messes with that scope at that frame the time frame and the scope in which they time in which they take to kind of reconcile if you will um be interesting so that said i think this is a positive for the game of golf i'll end it on a positive note this is a good thing for golf long term this grows the game at a global level um which is always the goal um just going to be a little murky i think for this for the short term but overall um yeah it's interesting yeah this is groundbreaking this is uncharted waters we've never seen this before so Certainly um, not much to go on, right? I mean, this is – we've never seen this kind of thing before, so it's it's hard to kind of draw back upon, you know, prior knowledge was we always go back to, well, this happened and this happened. There's no base case. Like, this is the base case. This is this is the first time, so hard to um, hard to kind of look at, but I think looking back, it'll be a great case study just to look at and, and view upon and see how this – the power dynamics played out, um, you know, five years down the road, so – Certainly a good thing to look at, um, you know, now and then with a, with kind of a uh, zoomed out lens, if you will, as well. So, yeah, I'm definitely interested to see how it does play out and who it benefits more in the long run uh, in terms of the players, because I I do feel for the PGA guys, the t- the players on tour, definitely a tough situation for most of them. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Should be interesting to see how they control the field and cuts and stuff like that, um, which. Which I mean will obviously hurt a lot of guys' golf career, like stocks and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess it'll all be announced probably in the next six to eight months as we kind of transition out of this season after the Tour Championship and head on over to the next season, where I think it's about going to be about 44 events or so. If it does stay to what the PGA has normally been to, um, I don't know how much it'll adjust off that 44, but um we're gonna move on to college baseball here go through it pretty quickly just because there's a ton of content not going to get too in-depth of it too in-depth into it um so the conference tournament was it started two weeks ago and out of the five the power five conferences out of the acc clemson tigers won it um hottest team in the country at the time big 12 tcu won it uh texas tech choked they lost back-to-back games against oklahoma state and then Oklahoma State lost to TCU in the final. Um, Just wait, the Big it, it gets better. It gets better for the Red Raiders coming up. Don't you worry. It does. Um, out of the Big Ten, the number one seed Maryland Terrapins won it uh, behind really good pitching and a couple of good offens- offensive performances. Uh, out of the SEC, Vanderbilt won it. Um, just steady play from them. I think a lot of SEC teams we saw were hot and cold, and Vandy just stayed steady. None of the Pac-12, Oregon won it. Oregon's still alive as we head to the Super Regionals starting tomorrow. And um, I mean, they've been hot most of the season. Dominant pitching performances week in and week out by a couple of different guys. Really underrated pitching staff. And they're looking good, obviously, with the Conference Championship as well. Um, heading on to the Regionals recap, which was the first round of the playoffs. 
it's 16 different sites where at each site you have a four-team double elimination tournament with obviously only one team coming out of each uh, site, leaving six teams left. I guess we'll cover four at a time, and then we'll switch back and forth. So I'll cover the first four. So the first one, we had the Winston-Salem Regional, where the number one national seed, Wake Forest, Demon Deacons, hosted a slew of different teams, including Maryland, uh, George Mason, and I can't forget the fourth one. Wake Forest won. They rolled in all three games. Pretty easy for them. The Gainesville Regional was the number two Florida Gators, their national number two national seed, so they hosted their regional, in which Texas Tech was the three seed in that regional. And Texas Tech looked really good. They beat the three seed UConn Huskies on the first day. They beat Florida on the second day. And after that, you're feeling pretty good. They did start 2-0 in the Big 12 tournament and then went 0-2 to be eliminated. And in order for them not to win the regional, Texas Tech, that is, they needed to lose back-to-back games to either Florida or UConn. And so Florida and UConn played each other. Florida won it and eliminated UConn. Um, and Florida, they beat Texas Tech twice. And it was the offense just went dormant for the most of the regional. Outside of Gavin Cash having a couple homers, they did nothing. Florida A&M, the four seed, who played two games, ended up with more homers in their two games than Texas Tech. You know, pretty good power. Ended up with in their four games. Um, so Texas Tech won the first two, like I said. And similar to the Big 12 tournament, then lost their next two. And the Florida Gators won three straight elimination games to advance to the Super Regionals, in which they will host South Carolina this weekend. Two more for me. Um, the Fayetteville Regional, number three national seed, Arkansas Razorbacks, hosted three other teams, including the TCU Horned Frogs. And TCU's offense was um, incredible. I think they had 15-plus runs in a couple games. And they came out of that regional, so the number three national seed was eliminated in the opening round. And then the fourth one I got is the Clemson Tigers in the Clemson regional, hosted Tennessee as the Tennessee was the two seed, and Tennessee got hot and eliminated the hottest team in the country. So Tennessee uh, knocked off the number four seed, so two of the top four seeds going home early. Yeah, this is the only time I'll go back to the four that you talk about. I'll, I'll give a little bit. Uh, Lighten the blow a little bit for the Red Raiders. Um, you know, the offense definitely was tough. Um, I mean, Gavin Cash won them the second game, the first one against Florida, uh, game two in the regional. Um, you know, if you'd have told me that they were going to play a three-game set in Gainesville this year, and they I, and you told me they would have won one game, I'd have been okay with that, right? They didn't get swept. So when you put it in that lens, it kind of feels better, not to mention um, – <laughs> Florida's got, I mean, they're, just, they're loaded. The depth of that pitching staff, the depth of the lineup, the bench is it's second to none almost. I mean, it's outside of Wake Forest's pitching staff, it, uh, you know, the, the depth of, of the Florida Gators is unparalleled, I think. Um, then you talk about the fact that they've got uh, top three pick Wyatt Langford in there, potential player of the year, Jack Caglione, uh, led the league and led the nation in homers, two-way player, probably the – the best two-way talent we've college baseball seen in God knows how long, maybe ever. No, no undoubtedly the first first overall pick next year. Um, he's just a sophomore this year, so um, you know Jack. I think had a homer. He had a homer in the game in the first game against the Red Raiders. I think he had a homer in. I think he had. A, they have a homer on all three. I know he had a homer in the second game. 
I did he had three homers, three. but only two against Tech. Okay, so he had a he had a homer. He didn't have a homer in the final game when they rolled like six um, to zero or whatever. I know he homered yeah. in the yeah I know he homered in the um in the the second game against Tech, their second game of the day um when they played them on the for the elimination game for them, um and then Wyatt Langford had 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 a hell of a series as well and that guys going to be a top three pick for a reason. And frankly, in any other year, he has a number one overall pick. The problem is you've got a guy who's hitting almost 500 in Dylan Cruz, who's a true five-tool player. And you've got a historically good pitcher in Paul Skeens, who's, uh, you know, he still could because all these, all these postseason stats go towards, you know, your, your, your overall stats. He could still set the record for, for K's per nine in college baseball history. He was like 0.2 off of the record set or the record holder from 2003 going into the regional. So he could very well go out there and break it still. So the guy's on another level. Um, so again, any other year, Langford's probably our first overall pick, but just got those two studs in front of him. Um, speaking of Baton Rouge and, and, and the uh, LC Tigers getting to their regionals, they were the uh, five overall seed in the country. They rolled through theirs, um, rolled through their regional. They lost a single game. They rolled through their regional and won. Uh, I believe they are hosting Kentucky in a, a super regional next weekend, uh, or I guess this weekend coming up tomorrow, um, out in Nashville, Vanderbilt was limited early. Uh, I believe they lost two games. I think they, they were, they didn't even make it to the championship. Uh, I don't think so. Did they? Nope. Um, nope. Xavier eliminated them. That's right. Um, yeah. Oregon cruise to that region. Um, they're actually hosting a regional or super regional next weekend as the winner of the Stillwater regional, uh, was not Oklahoma state spoiler. Um, so they're going to be hosting Oral Roberts next week um, in the Eugene Super Regional, which is crazy to say. Um, Charlottesville, number seven seeded Virginia, or number ice number seven overall seeded Virginia. They rolled through their region, uh, not super unexpected. Oklahoma, ECU, and Army. Oklahoma wasn't hot. They weren't, you know, top of the world by any means. Um, ECU's a are high quality mid major, but they didn't really finish the year all too well. And then Army's Army, um, uh, admirable baseball program, but they're just not uh, on the same level as all of these programs. Uh, so Virginia rolled through. They'll be hosting Duke next week, or I guess this. I keep saying next week. Literally tomorrow they start. And the Stanford Regional, um, they actually overcame. Uh, they had to win two games against Texas A&M. Um, to get out of their similar situation as Florida, seeing a Texas team come to town and uh, get to the championship game first, two and zero. Had to go uh, battle back, win three straight, and they did. Um, it was a great last two games against against Texas A&M. Um, really good battle. So ultimately, Stanford comes out on top uh, in the Stanford Regional, and they are hosting. Are they hosting? UT. I'm trying to find it online. That's right. They're hosting Texas. Man, as much as I hate Texas A&M, I would have loved to see an A&M UT Regional in Austin. That would have been crazy. Had I, because I'm leaving tomorrow to go fishing. Had I been in town, I'd have gone to the game. 100%. If they'd, I would 100% gone to the dish and seen a game, if not two. Yeah, no, it would have been cool uh, to see that matchup as they've been in separate con- conferences for a little bit now. Um, continuing along here, the number nine seeded Miami Hurricanes hosted the Coral Gables Regional, and uh, University of Texas came out of that one. So like we just said, going to Stanford to play in the Supers. Number 10 seed, Coastal Carolina um, in the Conway Regional hosted three other teams, obviously. And Duke came out of that one in a championship game against Coastal. Looked really good. Uh, Stillwater, the number 11 national seed, 
Oklahoma State hosted some really good teams. That was a tough regional. And the four seed, Oral Roberts, came out of that one after a really impressive showing all three games from them. Lexington, the number 12 national seed, Kentucky Wildcats, won their own regional. And like we said earlier, will be traveling to Baton Rouge for an SEC rematch with the LSU Tigers. Yeah, getting to the number 13 seeded Auburn Tigers here. Another another uh, you know regional host that's eliminated uh, in two games. Uh, Auburn lost, or was it? No, it was two games, or was it three? They played three games. Or they no, they two? went 0 and two. Yeah, because oh yeah, because so, they lost to Southern Miss and they lost to Penn. Um, man, Penn, talk about Penn! Unbelievable run for them to get to the regional final and push Southern Miss to a, a, a game a game seven. Uh, I guess game seven in total region. Um, the elimination game for both teams. Southern Miss ends up winning. And they'll be going to uh, the tennis. Actually, they're hosting Tennessee uh, next week in what was a controversial host site choice by the NCAA. Um, Tennessee fans were crying about it, but it, whatever. Southern Miss is a great environment. It'd be a great regional um, or super regional. Terra Hot, Hot, the Indiana State Six or Sycamores, um, hosted UNC, Iowa, and Wright State. They roll through their region. And um, in an odd kind of, you know, series of events, they will not be hosting a Super Regional. Um, TCU will be hosting in Fort Worth due to um, the Indiana Special Olympics is taking place in Terre Haute uh, at their baseball facility, um, which, you know, it's a great – that Special Olympics is great. Um, you know, definitely can't just kick them out. If it was anything else, probably can, but that's a really special event for a lot of people, um, and a lot of folks are involved there, so – um, not something that you want to take away, not something I'd ever advocate for or someone to take away. Just an unfortunate kind of circumstance for Terre Haute uh, community to have to kind of go through that that choice. Um, obviously, the fans to lose that super regional host, but um, really cool actually from uh, Lupton Beers, I think is what it was. They're a, a, a TCU fan account. Uh, they, I believe they have a podcast. They made a big tweet basically saying like, hey, college baseball fans, like, you know, we're, we're all baseball fans at heart. We're all we're all people at heart. Like. You know, it sucks that, uh, you know, Indiana State can't host, uh, but but we're going to welcome them to Fort Worth. Everyone go donate to the Indiana um, Special Olympics. And um, per their PR, uh, as of like yesterday or this morning, they raised $23,000 in donations. They gotten twenty three grand in donations in the last few days, which is uh, an incredible story. Obviously, it sucks for for that team. They can't they get the Super Regional host, but um, nonetheless, a really, really cool deal. Uh, with the Indiana Special Olympics getting all those donations and a um, really cool story. So definitely rooting for Indiana State and Fort Worth this weekend. It'll be tough. It's a good environment to play at. But, um, yeah, and then we'll get to, uh, in its short, strange series of events for uh, Indiana State to host a regional, not end up hosting um, a super regional, although um, team that they're, I guess the other team they were matched up with um, did not host a regional. Um, Columbia Super Regional, South Carolina rolled through their region, um, hosting uh, – was that Central Connecticut, Campbell, and NC State? Um, like we talked about, they'll be going to Gainesville this or tomorrow. And then the final one, the Tuscaloosa Regional. Um, Alabama rolled through this region. Troy, BC, and Nichols, or Nichols or Nichols State. Either way, they lost. They, they, they went on to. Um, going to Wake Forest, Winston-Salem is going to be tough. Um, I guess that kind of leads us into our Super Regional predictions with the Winston-Salem Super Regional. Um, I'm taking Wake in two unparalleled pitching staff. I mean, this is like Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter, Vandy type stuff we're seeing right now from this pitching staff, not to mention the offense is on another planet. They cruise through their region. 
um, like a, like a number one overall seed should should. Now I'll say this: the last two years, the number one seed in the country has not made it to Omaha. I think that changes this year. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Wake Forest in two. Yeah, I am as well. I think they have four All Americans on the pitching staff, and they have two hitters that. Two uh, guys in their lineup that have combined for over 52 or 53 home runs. Ridiculous. Which is crazy. Um, so I'm going to Wake Forest two games to none. And then South Carolina at Florida, a rematch in which Florida swept them earlier. Um, I'm going Florida two games to one. So I think it goes three, but Florida wins the rubber match. I'm also going Florida 2-1. Um, obviously not the healthiest South Carolina has been all year, but I'll say – when this offense gets going, they can score bun- runs in bunches. Um, and then they get a game, probably going to be game two. I assume Jack goes in game one for the for the Florida Gators. Um, actually, no, the guy who pitched against UConn probably pitches game one. He could, right, yeah. He, he dominated. So, I, I don't know. I, th- I think South Carolina gets a game. Don't know which one it is, um, but I'll go South Carolina um, to win a game, but Florida to win in, in, uh, in three. Indiana State at TCU. Uh, I'm going to Indiana State. I think they got to travel, which is tough, but this team's traveled all year. It's Indiana State. They traveled and played a lot of really good opponents on the road. It's not a, you know, it's not a, a uh, you know, a hostile. Not gonna, it'll be a hostile environment, but it won't feel like it to them because again, they, they're road tested, they're battle tested. Um, this is Cinderella run that they're on, and I, feel, I don't think it stops here. I think they make it to Omaha in three games. They're going to win two, um, drop a game. I think, I think it'll be. It'd be an incredible story. I'd love to see it. Um, love to see the Sycamores keep this run going and get to Omaha. So I'm going to go with it. Yeah, I'm going TCU in three games. I think TCU's really hot right now going back to the Big 12 tournament. It seems like they always close the season out really well after a questionable regular season. Um, I think they might be this year's OU. I'm not saying they're going to go you know, the final series of the College World Series, but I think they may win a game or two in Omaha and just stay hot. Um. Continuing on, Tennessee at Southern Miss. I think I'm going to take Tennessee in three games. I think Tennessee has the lineup and the depth to compete. I mean, obviously being in the SEC is tough. So this will be nothing new for them, having a big series on the road. They've played really well on the road this year. Yeah, I'm going to Tennessee in three as well. Um, Chase Burns, man. He, I don't know if you got, if anybody watched that. I know, I'm pretty sure you did, that the, was it 16-inning thriller against Clemson? Where yeah. he loads the bases with no outs, strikes out a guy and gets a double play and they're out of the inning, and he locked it in for three more innings of of, of extra inning baseball. I mean that guy left his guts on the pitching mound. Uh, in a lot of respect for that, so I think um, that pitching staff's kind of locked it in. I think uh, they beat the hottest team in the country. I think if there's any if there's any team in the country that can go on the road and not be phased by a wild crowd in Southern Miss, it's Tennessee because they did because they did it last year, and this is a team that talks a, a talks a lot, it's like a lot of trash, and they back it up, and they're they're of all the teams in the country, they may have some of the most swagger in, in the entire country. So I think they're a team that can go go into any any home ballpark and win a series. Um, I'm taking t- I'm taking Tennessee in the series in, uh, in three games as well. Um, Kentucky going to Baton Rouge, uh, number twelve at number five for the series. I'm taking LSU in two. I think game one's a locked win with Skeens on the bump. I think, uh, you know, should they elect to pitch him in game one, which they should, by the way. Um, Tim Tadlock, not a fan of pitching your best pitcher in game three or saving him. you got to throw your, your hot hand uh, in game one, get the first win, put pressure on the opposing team. So um, 
definitely going with LSU in, in, in two. I just think that this Dylan Cruz is on another planet right now, as he's been all year. Tommy White's getting hot. The entire lineup's getting hot. I mean, Trey Morgan in there as well. So um, taking him to go to, I mean, they, they, they looked really good. They, they battled in the regional. They were down a couple times, and they battled back. Um, the, the pitching staff actually pitched really well, especially the bullpen pitched well. I was kind of surprised by So going to go with LSU in two games to beat Kentucky, which is, I think is surprising. Most people pick in a three-game series there. Yeah, I'm going three games. I can't remember what the series was in the regular season, but Kentucky's offense is kind of a different kind of offense. And, I mean, I don't think they win game one, but I think Kentucky wins game two, and I think it would be a really exciting game three. I don't know. I mean, obviously I'm picking LSU to win the game three, but I think it will be pretty exciting regional, probably, you know, maybe the best region or super out of all of them. And then continuing on here with Oral Roberts and Oregon. I think one of only a couple of series um, that doesn't have a national seed in it. I'm going Oregon uh, up in Eugene. I'm w- picking them to win two games. I think it'll be tough for Oral Roberts. Yeah, Oral Roberts came out of the Stillwater Regional. Um, I mean, that's technically in their backyard. So traveling up to Eugene will be tough against Oregon, who's another one of the hottest teams. I know I mentioned their pitching staff's been really good, and uh, their offense has come around strong in the you know back end of the season. So. Picking Oregon in two. Yeah, I'm going Oregon in three. I think um, it, it, it's a tough travel. Eugene's kind of a weird place to go play. It's kind of always gloomy and rainy and stuff like that. But that said, I, I think it's not like Oregon's a national seed. I think Oral Roberts takes a game. I don't know if it's game one or game two, but I think they're going to steal a game. I think Oregon ends up winning in three. Um, getting that game three at, at home is huge. But taking Oral Roberts to get uh, steal a game from Oregon – uh, Duke traveling to number seven, Virginia and Charlottesville. I'm taking Virginia in two. They looked really good. They were like quietly dominated their region. Like no one really seemed to talk about them. They kind of just like, they're a super quiet seven C if that makes sense. Like they kind of just rolled through their region and no one really batted an eye. And it's like, well, hold on guys. Like they just, just rolled. Can we talk about this for a second? So I'm taking UVA in two. I, I think they're hot right now. And, um, Quietly hot, which is wicked. I mean, they're in the ACC. They didn't, they didn't win the uh, ACC tournament, I don't believe. So, um, you know. But, yeah, they look really good right now. So, I'm taking Virginia in, in two in short. Yeah, I'm going Duke in the ACC matchup here. Or not going Duke. Um, playing Duke, I think it'll be tough because Duke has a good pitcher. So, I think Duke will win one of the games. And... I think UVA is going to win the rubber match, uh, the three-game set, two games to one. To round out the Supers, we have Texas at eight. Stanford already talked about this, but I think Texas is going to win the three-game series. Um, you know, Stanford doesn't really have the environment that you'd expect from such a good program like they have, and I honestly think UT plays really well on the road. They normally have, so I'm picking UT to win uh, in three games. Yeah. I was... I was going to pick you. I was seeing those kind of unfold, and it's like, man, I'm probably going to pick UT to win this region. And then it's like, man, Stanford had so many chances to lay down on the mat and just kind of give up, and they didn't. They fought back. I mean, shoot, they were down against against A&M, and I think later in the game, in the first elimination game they saw against them, like they could have laid down and just kind of laid on the mat and not really gotten up and said, you know what, man, that's not our year. We're not going back to Omaha. But they they got up, they fought, and shoot. I, it's hard to pick. It's a team just, just they don't have any superstars, right? But they're just a really damn good baseball team, and they, they hit for contact, they hit singles, they hit doubles. Like it's just 
they're not trying to swing for the fences every time. And I feel like that kind of fundamental baseball at home, it's a long trip for Texas. It's not like they're going to, it's not like they're going to College Station or Lubbock or Fort Worth or whatever. Like they're they're going to Stanford. It's Northern California. So I think the trip's going to be tough. They maybe lose, they maybe lose game one. Um, and I think Stanford, just a, the team that doesn't quit, doesn't lay down. I think that they're they're a scrappy group. So I'm going to for them to win in three games. I think it'll. I think this is going to be the best regional. Though I think this one will be great. I also think the South Carolina Florida regional will be great or super regional. But I think this is a sneaky pick for best regional or super regional, kind of in this grouping. I'm um, looking forward to it. Kind of take us to the pros here uh, with Major League Baseball getting a stats update this week. Um, I'll start out with the homers first. I, I will overview the stats first. We're going to go homers, RBIs, and OPS. Uh, and then for the pitchers, we'll go ERA, Ks, and saves. Wanted to do whip, which is walks plus hits per innings pitched, but um, just kind of a weird list. And I felt like this early on, maybe we should go with kind of recognize the relievers a little bit. So, uh, But I'll start it off with homers here. Um, got three guys tied at fourth here. Jordan Alvarez of the Astros, Matt Olson of the Braves, and Jorge Soler of the uh, Miami Marlins, all tied with 17 homers. About Everyone's about 50 games in, give or take, you know, two or three games um, here and there on their schedule. But we're, everyone's about 50 games in right now. Um, so these guys hitting for a lot of power. Obviously, Jordan and Matt, and Matt Olson, no surprise here. But Jorge Soler having a great start to his season here. And then, uh, yeah. I don't know why I just stopped. Sorry, go ahead. I don't know why I just goofed. It's late. Sorry. Oh, I was just saying... <laughs> I think Alvarez will climb the list as the season goes. Yeah. He normally gets hot towards the end of the season. He does. Um, and I think you, we're going to see two of the next three go through a power slump. Uh, I guess I, one of them definitely will. And it's guy at three is Max Muncy of the Dodgers. who's hit 18 so far. He got really hot in the month of May, early in May. Kind of cooled off in the latter part of the month and into June here as we're eight days into the month. Um, he's at 18. You know, he's gonna he's gonna go through somewhere and hit a bunch of homers here. So I'm I'm betting Jordan passes him. Don't know about Aaron Judge sitting at two with 19 bombs. I mean the guy leads in OPS. Spoiler alert for two categories from now, but he leads majors the majors in OPS. The guy's an absolute monster. Um, I think we all know that. But um, he'll probably be here the, the rest of the year. And then Pete, Pete Alonso, the polar bear. Um, the guy's really strong, by the way. Guys, I mean, he's he's really strong. Pete Alonso, uh, I'm bringing that back. We are we are keeping that this year. Um, he could hurt somebody. I mean, he could hurt somebody. You know, he he could really put hands on somebody and hurt him. Um, big big strong guy like him in 22 homers, no surprise. Oh, easily. I would set the oh, over under for him at uh maybe 80, 81 homers on the season, about I mean, one every I mean, other big, game. Big strong guy like him. That's what he's almost averaging right now, right? He's at 22 through like. I know. He's probably played like 44, 45 games. Big strong guy like him. He just bunts him out. Easily, yeah. I mean, I don't know what he's doing here. He needs to go to the next level. He's probably some other level up there that he's waiting Sorry. to, you know, be promoted to. Um, but RBIs, you know, a few of the same guys. We have Pete at at fifth with 49 as he's mainly a power hitter strictly. Um Tied for third, we have Rafael Devers and Marcus Simeon, um, a couple AL guys tied at 50. Number two, we have Adolis Garcia at 52 from the Texas Rangers, having a really strong start to his season. And number, number one, Jordan Alvarez at 55 um, to lead the majors by a three. Four of the top five guys, uh, the top four guys are of AL. Um, 
so probably says a lot about you know the AL ballparks being overall a little smaller than the NL ballparks. Um, so these guys hit for power are getting a lot of easy RBIs because a lot of guys are getting on base with singles and doubles that you know maybe wouldn't maybe the outfielders get there and get to their spot and make the play um, in some NL parks. So it's just normally you know you talk about uh, Yankees and Red Sox, the Blue Jays. Those are just a few, a few just within the AL East that have fairly hitter-friendly ballparks, and you don't see that as much in the NL. Um, we have five guys that should be in the top ten for most of the season. Uh, Garcia might fall off, but other than that, Alvarez I could see leading uh, the majors the whole way through. I think Devers will probably be up there for the whole season. Um, but yeah, some some really good numbers so far through the season. Interesting kind of nugget to point out here. All these teams play in the south or on the east coast which is warmer right now than the west coast is for the most part um obviously you see some cold you know some cold weather maybe up, up, up back east but for the most part in the summer months you're going to see some warmer weather up there warmer air ball travels a little farther as opposed to the cool i know from dodger stadium where every night when you have evening games where the sun kind of sets and that that cooler breeze off the ocean comes in in the into the ravine and Balls just don't travel in cold air. I don't know what it is. I mean, I know what it is. It's the it's the chemistry and the physics behind it, obviously. But um, just kind of how it goes. Um, you see balls travel further in like afternoon and uh, midday games at, the, at Dodger Stadium. So kind of translates over to just ballparks that are indoors, ballparks that are played in warmer weather, that kind of thing. And balls travel a little bit further. So um, maybe that's part of it as well. OPS, which is kind of taken over for average. It's kind of like the standalone like this is the metric everyone uses um it's mostly just on base percentage plus slug or slugging percentage kind of takes into account how much you get on base so average walks all that stuff um along with your power so it kind of favors guys who hit for a lot of power which you'll see here with this list it's all got like all guys who hit for a lot of power number five ronald acuna jr of the braves at a point five nine or uh, nine five nine. Um, again, it's just OPS or on base percentage plus um, your slug. So not really red as a percentage. You just kind of add together as percentages. Um, number four, Freddie Freeman, Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers, a uh, thousandth of a point higher at point nine six zero. Number three, Jordan Alvarez of the Houston Astros, who's made an appearance on all three of these lists, um, at a nine at point nine six eight. Yandy Diaz of the Tampa Bay Rays. At a point nine seven seven, and I'll rise for the judge, Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees, at a one point oh seven eight. Um, anything above like eight hundred is a really good average uh, OPS. You're hitting, you, you have an OPS over a thousand. You're on another planet. Which shocker, Aaron Judge is on another planet. Um, he's kind of always been that way since he's kind of got rid of the injury bug a couple of years ago. So um, no shock here. All these guys hit for a lot of power. I mean, Freeman, Alvarez, Judge, Diaz, Acuna, all five of these guys hit for a ton of power. So um, not, not a surprise to see these guys atop the list. And um, I figure this list kind of looks similar. You'll probably see a couple names drop in and out of the top five, but um, probably see all these guys kind of hovering around that, you know, top five to ten range the whole year. And I would, I would say Aaron Judge probably doesn't fall below three the entire season. Yeah, I was going to say, we probably see those guys stay – relatively in the top 10 for the rest of the season um you know a couple guys may go into slumps that they drop out for a little bit but i think they probably get back into the top 10 or so but 
Moving on to the pitching stats here. Start off with ERA, earn on average, the amount of earned runs you give up per nine innings. Um, anything sub 2-5 is pretty good in the MLB. Um, all five guys here under sub 2-5. Two, two um, Nathan Eovaldi, the Rangers, has had a really strong kind of a resurgence to his career after he kind of fell off the past few years. Um, you know, was on Boston for a while, which is where he was really good, especially in the playoffs. Uh, he's at a 2.24. Framber Valdez from the Astros pitching really well, 2-1-6. Sonny Gray, another guy who's kind of reached back and vintage Sonny Gray here um, about 10 years ago is his prime. Um, he's at a 2-1-5 for the Twins. Eduardo Rodriguez from the Detroit Tigers, 2-1-3. And then leading the leading the major league, Shane McClanahan of the Tampa Bay Raves. Raise at a 202. Um, nobody's under two to this point. I think we will see someone go under two for a little bit, uh, but probably not quite what we saw last season, uh, where a couple guys were under two for a good bit of the year. Um, but no surprise here. I think Sonny Gray, Nathan Avadi, a couple guys that may maybe a little surprised, but they've done this in their career, so it's not too surprising. It's just at this point in their career, them being this sharp on the mound every night is or every start is impressive. Real quick, breaking news. Um, Oklahoma softball just won their third straight national title. They went 61-1 and this year. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's just – I mean, that's stupid. One loss in 62 games? Yeah, I mean, is this crazy. the greatest – is this the most dominant stretch of, of college sports we've ever seen? Three straight – well, they lost two games last year. This would be the most dominant run we've ever seen in college sports. Let yeah, alone like women's sports, team sports. college sports. Right, I think team sports, yeah, it probably yeah, yeah, is. Fair, yeah. I mean, it's got to be, right? Dude, yeah. 61 and 1, are you, they didn't lose a play a postseason game. Mm-hmm. They just, they they shut out. They played number three, the number three seeded Sports State Seminoles in the in the College World Series. They, they shut them out in both games. That's absurd. That is redonkulous in a word. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's impressive. I knew they were like I I knew they were playing the Colorado Trails. I didn't know they played. Um, I thought I thought game one was today. I thought I guess it was obviously it was yesterday. Duh. I thought it was today. Dang, that's crazy, man. Three straight. Fifty-three no wins sh- in a row. Who they lose to? I'm trying to pull it up on my phone right now. I don't know, but I guess they started eight and zero, lost a game, and then won fifty-three in a row. Fifty-three straight. It's just stupid. That's so wild. Uh, Dude, could you imagine? Could you imagine being an Oklahoma softball fan? You lose one game, feels like the sky's falling. Yeah. Dude, what's that winning percentage? I'm, I've, I've got. I mean, it's got like ninety some percent, like ninety eight percent almost. Ninety eight point four. Yeah. Dude, shout out Oklahoma softball, most dominant team collegiate sport we've ever seen. Right? I mean, that's crazy. Dude, 60, 60, 61 and one. Wild. Okay. We'll keep it going here. I got to get going. I got to pack. Um, strikeouts. Uh, Pablo Lopez of the Minnesota Twins at 94. Mitch Keller of the Pittsburgh Pirates at 96 at number four. Shohei Otani of the Los Angeles Angels at 113. Did I mess this up? I did. Otani's got like 104, I think. I messed up when I was typing it. Spencer Strider and Kevin Gosman, Strider of the Braves, Gosman of the of the Toronto Blue Jays, have 113. I think 
Otani's got like 103 or something like that. I don't know if baseball reference pulled up anymore, but I think that's what it was. They show you like what the league average is. Well, stupid, whatever. Um, yeah, those guys, Strider's going to be up here the whole year. Otani will. Um, Gosman's having a great year to start this season. He probably stays up here. Um, he was up here a couple years ago as well. So expecting those three, pardon me, barring injury to hover at the top the entire season. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, four and five will probably see a lot of different guys, you know, hold those spots momentarily. And then we'll see other guys, you know, take them over. And then I don't know who we're going to see at the end of the season. But, yeah, those top three guys probably pull away, um, barring any injury, you know, pull away as the season progresses. Um, moving on to saves here. We have three guys tied for third with 15 saves. And Camilo Doval out of the – out of San Francisco uh, for the Giants. Felix Bautista of the Orioles is pitching really well. Um, and Carlos Estevez of the Los Angeles Angels. All at 15, like I said. Um, one ahead of that is Jordan Romano of the Toronto Blue Jays. And at 20, leading the league by four, is Emmanuel Classe of the Cleveland Guardians. Um, he's just been really solid for a couple years now. Um you know, leading by four, I wonder if he gets to 50. It'd be huge if he did, uh, but I think he could. 50 would be crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, he'll be here all the entire season, barring an injury. I mean, he dude's an absolute machine in the ninth inning. Um, go check him out on Pitching Ninja. He, he does some stupid stuff. Just ridiculous. Um, NFL here, some free agency news. Um, DeAndre Hopkins was cut, released, kind of expected. Um, slated to visit with the Titans on Sunday, kind of an odd visit for him. Uh, I'm sure he'll visit some other places. I'd be in no rush if I was him. Um, same with Dalvin cook, who's probably getting released in the, in the next day or so. It was like a last minute, like push to get him traded, which no one's going to take that contract on. Probably just going to cut him. He'll take his time. I think him and D hop are both going to benefit from waiting till someone gets hurt during camp when the demand goes up for those guys. I mean, Hopkins, you know, less than, than Dalvin with the, which the, low demand for running back versus kind of the amount of running backs that are out there to be had. Um, not a great running back market. So Dalvin probably away. It's D hop in no rush either. So, um, and a couple of edge rushers that signed um, with Leonard Floyd going to the bills and Frank Clark going to the Broncos. Yeah. We're going to see, continue to see some more guys sign fairly soon. I think I, I assume D hop doesn't sign with the Titans. Probably yeah. has some other visits in the future after that visit. Um, I don't know why he would want to play for them. Leonard Floyd, Frank Clark, couple big name pass rushers. I think we'll see a few more pass rushers sign here in the coming days. Um, just kind of guys ended up in spots that didn't really, didn't really completely fill their edge rooms. Although both the Broncos and bills looking pretty good. Um, I guess the Broncos, they lost Bradley Chubb. They needed to fill that. Um, but the bills have Von Miller, Greg Rousseau played really well. So, Frank Clark, or excuse me, Leonard Floyd going to the Bills. I think it was a one-year deal, like up to eight mil or something. So incentive, uh, a couple incentives in that contract, just basic incentives. Um, but the Bills didn't make a ton of sense for me personally. And then Frank Clark going to a division rival from when he was with the Chiefs. Um, you know, older guy that probably doesn't have too much left in the tank, but can still offer something to your edge room. And then uh, I don't think we missed anything in the free agency. Probably have nothing a notable. Of like I said. Um, in the coming weeks before training camp and stuff, um, kind of teams filling out their rosters, plug-in injuries, stuff like that. Um, so to round it out with the ice bath, I am going to give a shout-out to Ludwig Aberg, the Swedish 
golfer who is a Texas Tech alumni now. I see him fairly frequently, actually, just walking around, whether it be on campus or uh, by my apartment. I don't know if he lives in my apartment, but I do see him, I feel like, every every week. Um, he won a number of awards on the PGA Tour uh, University and in the college level this year. Um, I, can't, I know he won back-to-back Ben Hogan Awards, which was which is the college golf Heisman um, of the world. And he teed it up today at the RBC Canadian Open. And for his first career, well, I guess it's not his first career, but his pro debut on the PGA Tour, his first nine, he played four under. He finished at three under, shooting a 69 in his opening round, and is two back of the lead after the first day. So first PGA Tour event as a PGA Tour member, as he received his card last week. Should be interesting to see if he does end up qualifying for the U.S. Open, although I do think he will. So it'd be fun to see him out there uh, and ultimately see how he does in his PGA career, which is pretty cool. He's the first guy ever to go straight from college golf to the PGA Tour, um, thanks to the new PGA Tour U and how they go about their business. And he gets to skip like Q School and Corn Ferry Tour and international tours and stuff like that. So easy path for him, but nonetheless, he's earned it. Um, had a really great career to this point. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him at the U.S. Open next weekend. Um, put the money on him. He's winning it. Um, no, I'm sure his odds are just super long. But, no, I'm looking forward to seeing him. Obviously, great to see a Red Raider um, representing, representing the culture, representing the school the community um at the u.s open will be awesome just on tour in general is really really cool um my ice bath first i'll give a quick shout out to luis arias who's batting 403 talking about being on another planet that dude's just hitting the ball in play like an absolute madman um don't know if he holds it for the whole year it'd be really cool to see if he did um no clue if he does we'll see but we didn't talk about it we wouldn't do average but uh, i didn't want to give him a shout out for batting number four 400 which is just like I said, just the guys on another planet talking about batting, like anything over like 260 is a good batting average in, in Major League Baseball. Homie's batting 400. That's unheard of, which is just beyond me. So um, I want to give him a shout out. And then uh, my my ice bath is uh, Bobby Miller is the real deal. The last time we re-recorded, talk about being really excited to watch his first Major League start against the Braves. Uh, in three starts, he's 2-0 uh, with a 106 ERA. Uh, he's only allowed two runs, uh, both against one coming against the Braves, one coming against the Nationals. Um, on I believe Saturday, he pitched six shutout innings against the Yankees, seven Ks, one hit, two walks, got a no decision and a loss. Um, that and it, I think I don't remember the loss one too, but he got a no decision in a tie ball game, tie zero zero ball game uh, after the sixth inning when he was replaced in the seventh. But um, he's the real deal. He's got ace stuff. Like when you watch him pitch. Uh, I believe he's now the the major league leader in um, average fastball velo at 99.7 or six maybe um, in three starts, which is just wild. Um, touches triple digits all the time. Um, guy's got an electric slider, really good cutter. Uh, I guess cutter, running fastball. I don't know what you want to call it. These guys, two seamer, sinker, cutter. It's, they all. It's just a running fastball basically. Whatever you want to call it. Um, mixes in a changeup, but just He's got ace stuff. The, the confidence, he, he exudes confidence on the mound for a guy who's 24 years old, 25 years old. And um, just being able to I – mean, the, the stage doesn't get bigger in the regular season of 
ESP on ESPN or Fox pitching against the Yankees in Dodger Stadium. Like it doesn't the stage doesn't get bigger. You're in pro, I mean, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, like these are legends of the game. And he's striking guys out left and right. So just just an elite performance from him. And I'm really excited. I mean, he's a permanent fixture of this Dodgers pitching staff, not just for this season, but I think years to come. Um, probably makes their offseason plans a little easier. Um, they don't have to go, no matter what, try and bring back uh, Julio Arias in their kind of pursuit of Shohei Otani. They kind of always thought that they may have to let him go and it'd be really tough. But with Bobby Miller looking this good, they probably don't need to bring him back. They can probably just focus on getting Shohei in the building. So, um, But aside from that, I mean, he's the real deal. He's awesome. He's everything that, 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 that you know we thought he'd be and more. Obviously, he's going to take his lumps pretty soon. I think he's going to have a bad start. It's going to happen with young guys, but you could not have asked for three better starts from this kid out the gates. Um, yeah, he's electric, man. He's awesome. Um, easily already become one of my favorite players in the Dodgers. Um, part of it is the fact that whenever he's on the bump, it is Miller time, which, yeah, I'm a Miller light drinker. Obviously, drink responsibly, only over the age of 21. It's a pro, pro responsible drinking podcast. But I'm a Miller light guy. It's Miller time whenever Bobby Miller's in the bump, so... Um, but no, this is my guy. I've been excited about him for a long time. I'm pumped that he's looks so good. And um, yeah, man, I'm just excited about it. I know Dodgers are kind of slumping right now. Had they lost four. They won one today, but lost four straight. So um, it's Miller time tomorrow. I'm 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 juiced up about it. I'm excited. I'm ready for Miller time. I'll probably be in drinking Miller Light when it's Miller time tomorrow. So listen, I'm ready for it. I'm I'm pumped. I'm ready. But no, on a real note, um, really cool to see young guys like this succeed. Um, pumped for him, pumped for the Dodgers, and I'm uh, really excited to see how his season unfolds here. Um, and what might be a, a rookie of the year push for him down the stretch? I don't know. We'll see. Um, Corbin Carroll is obviously in it. Got a couple of rookie teams that looks really good, and James Outland, Miguel Vargas. But Bobby Miller, don't be shocked if in September we're talking about Bobby Miller as a that's top end candidate for an rookie of the year. Yeah, it's always nice when you can have a young guy come in and have a big impact. Um, not only from a salary standpoint, but from a, you know, outlook yeah. standpoint, it helps you formulate your roster a little bit easier and doesn't leave you with as many question marks as you might have. Um, which I know the Orioles have some guys coming up maybe next season more so than this season, but it'll be nice for them as they're normally a cheap franchise in comparison to most others. Um, but I think that'll pretty much wrap it up today for episode 50. Um, yeah, not much other than we should probably have an episode next week or so around then. Don't know when yet, uh, but try to get we'll try to get a consistent schedule going maybe same day each week um, as the summer progresses on. We don't have not taking any classes, but still have stuff going on. Um, yeah, I mean, follow on social media on Twitter and Instagram. Um, post some updates there, more so Twitter. Um, you know, posting the big stuff in sports, what's going on, what's the latest, um, especially as NHL and NBA playoffs are going on, kind of wrapping up here in the next week or so. Um, be a lot more football news once those wrap up. And, yeah, do you have anything? I do just want to say we're talking about the Oklahoma softball team. They lost their one game. It was February 19th, like you said, the ninth game of the year, to Baylor in a 3-4 to four contest. 3-4, to four, they lost. Here's the quote from their coach post game. What just happened is extremely valuable, said Oklahoma coach Patty Gasso. I believe that's her last name, I think. She's obviously the GOAT, clearly. So I'm trying my best. What's valuable is the response. 
the rebound and the extra work that is going to be put in to make us better. Brother, 53 wins reeled off. I think they bounced back. I think uh, they put in that extra work. If you know what I'm saying, like they went to yeah, they went to yeah. work. That's crazy. Listen, can Texas Tech hire her as the pitching coach? I mean, seriously, for real. Can we can we can we get yeah. that, please? Hey, I don't care if our pitchers pitch underhand. Something needs to be fixed because we already have we're losing five guys either eligibility or the portal, and oh, man. it's not looking like anyone's going to transfer here. When compared to all other schools that have pitcher-friendly ballparks, when this ballpark plays like a high school field, so dude, it's just a quote of what's what's important is the is the response, the yeah. rebound, and the extra work that's going to mm-hmm. talk. About, is there a better rebound than not losing another game? <laughs> I don't think so. Crazy, no, I don't think dog. so. The response, I think it was good. I think they responded well to the loss. Yeah, they need to come back to it. Dude, that's 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 wild. That's a wild thing. I, it's the great. It's the greatest run in collegiate sports, right? Fifty-three wins. Probably, yeah. I can't think of anything else. Dude, I mean, look. look I, mean, I, I hate to say it, but every other sport's too competitive for a team to go on that streak. Well, like, but even like, like, look at like what the UConn women did in basketball, and they still lost games though. Like, right, dude. Oklahoma was Oklahoma was. They're dominating people. It's just dominating. It's wild. But yeah, I do think I don't know why it is this way. I just don't know if it's like it's harder to recruit because of the scholarship. They don't have a ton of scholarships, but like feels like in women's, you see a lot more dynasties in women's college sports. I don't know if it's it probably is a scholarship thing. Um, I mean, even in college yeah. baseball, there's not like scholarships for everybody, but I know there's a lot less scholarships in women's women's college sports, um, particularly softball. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know if it's like a maybe it's a coaching thing. Maybe it's just it's I have no idea. But I mean, dude. Dominant stretch, regardless. No matter what sport you're in, men's, women's, whatever level, 53 straight wins is crazy. All right. To go yeah. 61 and one, third straight title, dude. Hats off. That's crazy. Like, I wonder how many dude, they win to start next year. But I mean, I don't like Oklahoma, but I'm pulling for a fourth one. I love it. I love a good dynasty. I love it. Yeah. People, people hate it. Listen, I hate the Chiefs dynasty. All right, but. I'm rocking with this Oklahoma women's softball dynasty. I'm rolling with it. I love it. I'm all about it. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't bother me, me at all. So, Yeah, sign me up. Oh, yeah, I don't like Oklahoma, but but I'm rocking with the dynasty. I think it's cool. I'm with it. Go for a four-peat. Shoot, their goal, is to not, their goal is to get smoked in, like, practice, and then they don't they rebound and don't lose a game all year, 62-0. Yeah. Easy. I wrote, I wrote the book. Here we go. I think that wraps it up, right? That's probably everything today. Yeah, I think so. I think we pretty much. I don't think there's anything else. So, never to dance on. Well, hopefully we get a we. I'm not gonna promise it because I I say this and my life will just get turned upside down in the four days that I'm home before I leave to go however many hours away on a plane um, for seven weeks. But we should oh. get an episode out on time next week. I get back. Yeah, we got. We'll record an episode before I leave. Yeah, yeah, we got that. And then we'll get a nice schedule going. It'll be great. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I um, there. Are, I gotta go pack. My dad's waiting for me to bring my stuff downstairs to pack. I'm gonna get. We get. Oh no, that's all right. We keep it rolling. We ball.
F it, we ball. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I think, I think. Yeah, exactly. We, we move. Well, if you've stuck with the pod this far, thank you. We've we've rambled the last ten minutes. That's all right though. That's what we do. Um, yeah. Next episode uh, coming out, episode fifty-one. Um, probably get an NBA Finals recap, NHL Finals recap. They probably wrap up by then, by next, by this time next week ish. Um, U.S. Open pre- or kind of preview. We'll probably get this done Wednesday night, I think, before the U.S. Open starts Thursday. So we'll do a little re- a little preview for that. Um, Supers recap. Look forward to Omaha as well. Um, and kind of anything else that happens from between now and then. Um, but yeah, other than that, um, again, any closing things to say? If not, we'll get out of here and see you guys next week. Yeah, I don't think I do. I pretty much covered it. Um, cool. Yeah, just a bunch of recaps probably next week and looking forward to the College World Series. For sure. Alrighty. Well, on that note, we will see you guys next week, likely on Thursday morning. Yeah, see y'all soon.